You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Everybody, welcome to the Moisture Festival podcast. I am comedy stunt performer Matt Baker, and I am comedy magician Louis Fox. We are both performers at the Moisture Festival. The Moisture Festival, if you're unfamiliar, is a four-week festival celebrating variety arts in the Fremont neighborhood of Seattle. It is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. If you're listening to this during the festival, be sure to buy your tickets now, because 95% of the shows sell out. You can get tickets to all the shows by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. We recorded this episode in Portland, Oregon, in the clown basement, and we are joined by a man who is does a little bit of everything, John Dutch. Yes, we talk about the underground bicycle scene, we talk about him being the Grand Marshal for the World Naked Bicycle Federation, <laughs> as well as him being an acrobase. Yeah, we talk about how he created a very successful circus that exists in the Portland metro area and tours all around entertaining people and uh, just sort of like general circus conversation. <laughs> you are going to love this if you love the circus arts and coming to this later in life. It's a pretty inspirational story. Let's get to John Dutch. Let's do it. We are coming to you direct in the clown basement here in Portland, and we're joined by an acrobat, an entertainer, a performer, an MC director, and one of the founding members of the Rose City Circus. He is the ride marshal for the World Naked Bike Ride and is a staple in the Northwest circus scene. We welcome John Dutch. Yeah! Or yeah. Ju- you, you, John Dutch, you got it right. You, but you uh, introduced yourself as Dutch. Well, I mean, in more friendly, just conversational matter, you can just call me Dutch, but... John Dutch is how I'm known. Can you differentiate how people know you based off of if they call you John or Dutch? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you got the moms and the partners always call me John, and that's always funny. Or random people who only know me off the internet because they see my name is John Dutch, and then so they think Dutch is my last name. Oh. And so they come up, it's like, hi, John, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, you definitely have never met me in person before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I did. I said, hi, yeah, John. Exactly. So, so wait, your first name is Dutch? My first name is John. Jo- okay. And Dutch is a made-up name. It's my stage oh, name. Oh, gotcha. It was even my nickname before I joined the circus, and then I just kind of kept it because it's great, and then I just realized that John Dutch is also just a fantastic stage name. So just it is a great stage name. I just kept it. It's so very, are we it feels to, very accurate of who I am, too. Can we, are we allowed to ask what your real name is? Or is that like hush-hush? No, like only hush, a few hush. people in Portland. It's John Paglia. Okay, okay, all right. Or actually pronounced properly, it's a John Paglia. Okay. Pa- Johnny oh. Paglia, which is very, very Italian uh-huh. ethnic, which is not, you know, I think John Dutch is more of the kind of person I bring to stage. It's uh, my, I, my buddy, his name is Joe uh, Ricky. R-I-C-C-I. And we went to Italy together to be on a TV show. And the Italians gave him so much flack. Because he's pronouncing it wrong. Because he's pronouncing it Ricky. Right. Instead of Richie. He's like, this is how my parents told me to pronounce it. Same with me, actually. Uh, So I, I, Pagli is how I just said it, but traditionally that's completely wrong like those that sound doesn't even exist in italian you know they would do the same thing to me but yeah when my grandpa came over here they changed it to paglia because paglia everybody would mispronounce it yeah all the time. well that's actually the same with the, my buddy who i just referenced mm-hmm. he is also a new york guy and mm-hmm. maybe that was something when people yep. came over when they came to new york they're like okay we're just gonna yeah. try to americanize this as exactly. much as possible and, and did you grow up in, i grew up uh, in new york upstate i grew up right around the new york city okay White Plains. cool and so what brought you to portland like were you in the into circus before you came out to portland or did you just go no, when you were here? i had 
a background in theater and I was in bands and music and I just really loved performing forever. But mostly I was a sports guy. I really loved sports. I played a lot of football is my main sport, but played a lot of sports, played in college. And I moved out to Portland actually because I was heading off to graduate school and I did research on a bunch of different grad schools, uh, you know, what I was looking for. And of all the places I could have gone, Portland was the city that by far most appealed to me. You know, it had this very green, this was back in about 2004, 2005. So it was kind of, you know, Portland was still kind of on this, it hadn't quite gotten fully gentrified <laughs> and it was still a really great like artist hub and creative hub, had this very progressive politics, very like green recycling programs. People rode their bicycles. I was really into bike riding mm. uh, back then. I didn't even have a car. I just commuted on my bike. And that was very attractive to me that this is a place that took bike, you know, like transportation very seriously and had a whole scene around it. So I moved out here for graduate school. So what'd you go, what would you go for? I was in chiropractic college okay. and I made three and a half years, which was working in their clinic. And then kind of, we're just jumping right into this, pretty much just saw a circus show and was like, I need to do that. Ah. I saw an acrobat troupe. Kind of like a amateur professional level acrobat troupe. Now, were you interested in it, or did you stumble upon it? Um, he was I was looking for a... people that he could do chiropractic work on. <laughs> no, I, I, I was <laughs> he actually. He was the stack of business cards. <laughs> At this point, I was uh, pretty heavily involved in the um, bicycle scene, the underground bicycle culture in Portland. And <laughs> there's there's so many places you could take this interview. <laughs> I'm going to put a pin in that for a minute. <laughs> yes. There's some interesting stuff there we should touch on. If you're, you're curious about yeah, me and less about yeah. Moisture Festival and certain stuff, there's some really great stories there. Um, I used to be part of kind of like an outlaw underground street oh. racing bike, uh, bicycle. Uh, and I made like seven foot tall bikes and yeah, yeah, yeah. downhill racing bikes. We have that in Seattle. We have the dead, yeah, babies. dead babies. I actually yeah, yeah. won the dead baby downhill. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. yeah. yeah. So, I took uh, their damn trophy. No, they, oh, nice. They, yeah, they still whine about it. Yeah, so I used to live in the Georgetown neighborhood. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny because my brother, from he lives in Corvallis now, but he came up and we were going to this party and all these bikers ride yep. up and they're like, you down with dead babies? And my brother's like, what sort of party is this? I'm like, it's just, that's just the name it's of their the little thing. gang. Yeah, yeah. So I, I won the dead baby downhill. I was also a tall bike jousting champion. Oh, for, yeah. For years and years. At the uh, Georgetown Carnival, they used to have this. Uh... That was one of the big events at the dead baby. No, for the people listening at home who don't understand this, I'm about 6'4", 250 pounds. I was a former linebacker in college, turned into a circus acrobat. And then I was commuting on my tall bike. I was a pretty fierce. I'm a so how tall is a tall bike? Uh, I mean, I have them anywhere from like five, six feet to like I, my tallest one's probably about eleven or twelve feet. Wow. And the, that tall bike jousting is no joke, man. It's like you two people on these huge tall bikes, and they have like you know pool noodles or some sort. No, of No, no, no. We had sticks. giant uh, sticks, and we would just put boxing gloves at the yeah. end of them <laughs> you to make it safe. Safe. Well, yeah, the one safe, that I watched, the dude like got jousted off and like snapped his arm. Oh yeah, no, it was very, I had to retire because it was just way too dangerous. But luckily, <laughs> I didn't get knocked off my bike too often. Yeah, because I like to win. Because anyway. you had the longer stick. Because <laughs> usually the sticks would be the same size. I would, ju I'll just account it to luck. Let's just say that. <laughs> That's why I won for like three straight years. Okay, so going back to uh, being exposed, right. being so in chiropractor was, school too. So I was in, uh, yeah, I was in my final year of uh, chiropractic school. I was working in a clinic there, and I saw um, an amateur slash professional, kind of somewhere in between there, acrobat troupe called Kazoom, just local to Portland, and it just really captivated me. It, ha it was the first moment for me in circus where I was looking at somebody on stage that I was like, hey, that guy kind of looks like me like oh, i could yeah, be yeah. that guy for me growing up in new york circus to me was ringling brothers mm -hmm. and that's pretty much the only kind of circus that existed so it's like flying trapeze and elephants and like you know clowns, motorcycle cages motorcycle cages yeah. not like you know just hand balancers, hand balancers yeah, yeah. and partner acrobatics yeah. and more contemporary kind of circus things that's really evolved over the last like you know 40 50 years so i saw it and i was just like that's amazing and i was already part of that show because I was, like I said, it was part of like a bigger bike community event, similar to like the Dead Baby Downhill, just the Portland version. Mm. And as well as that, I was in a band. I was like kind of um, messing around with this band at the time. And so I was on the same bill. So I got to get to know them backstage afterwards. And um, 
immediately went to it. Actually, there's a, a fond memory of one of my first moments where, you know, it was after the show and we're all drinking beers and stuff. And one of their acrobatic bases, who's another guy about my size, popped up in a handstand on the wall and was showing off that he could drink a beer upside down with his other oh, hand. Oh, nice. And I'm like, hmm. And so I went over to the wall and I popped up in a handstand and went with my one hand in a handstand and started chugging a beer and was just looking right at him. and was like, what's up? <laughs> Wait, so you could do that just from being Yeah, I was uh, always an athlete. athlete yeah, okay. and I like kind okay. of ta- taught myself um, gymnastics to at least some degree. And I've always just kind of been one of those people who like goes out and searches fun things to do with their body and, you know, between dance and gymnastics. I wasn't like incredible or anything but you know i was a big strong capable yeah. person who had already you know that was something i could do at that point in my life it was a party trick now i can like i look back at my handstands back then and i shudder mm. just as somebody who actually trains oh, you're like my form was so bad oh yeah then. as somebody who trains hand hand balancing but the beer now, the beer drinking form was pretty solid it was good enough <laughs> um and so yeah i just pretty much uh went to them and was like hey i would love to know more about this this is something I like. I felt there was a big hole in my life, so I wasn't performing as much anymore. The band I was in was kind of not really like doing it for me, and I wasn't really using my body anymore. I was a college, you know, I played college football, but I didn't continue with that really after college. I was in graduate school. I was just doing graduate school, doing tall bike jousting, like I was just talking about. It was probably the closest I got to like you know sports or the yeah. downhill racing. Uh-huh. So that was like as close as I got to that comp, like you know, kind of physical. So I was really like wanting to do something and just also have an outlet to be on stage. I love being on stage. I've always loved mm. being on stage. And so I talked to them. Stars aligned. It just so happened that one of their other big bases was leaving the group, like literally at that moment. And they had a big giant show coming up in like a month. And so they brought they were like, hey, can you come in for an audition? Like literally just a couple days later. And I'm like, oh, God, like, I thought I would, like, you know, have to go to the gym for six months and train a bunch of specific muscles and, like, get to the point. And then I show up and they're just like, all right, can you lift this, you know, like, pick up this lady? And they showed me a couple of things. I'm like, can you, can she stand on your hands? Can you just, like, lift your hands over your head? And I'm like, I could just do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're like, cool, you're hired. Nice. <laughs> and I just kind of took the ground running, was in that troop. For a number of years and then started branching off. I created then my own troop of acrobats, which I was running for a while of like six, seven acrobats. And then I started Rose City Circus as that kind of expanded into just booking more shows. Was that the uh, Rose City Acro Devils was yeah, the name Rad. of that? Yeah, we always used to call ourselves Rad, but the Rose yeah, City yeah, Acro yeah. Devils. I, yeah. I saw that and I was like, that is such a great name. So is that different from the Rose City Circus or is that the same Yeah, thing? well, the Rose City Circus is more of an umbrella because I started... Rad was specifically just this like six person acro troop. And so okay. we would get booked, you know, as an act. All right. And whereas that started as I started making more connections and just I really have a, a passion and a love for creating, you know, also shows and choreography and putting stuff together. I'm just one of those people. I just really love to, you know, make a thing. And so I started you know, getting booked for larger shows and like, Hey, can you book out these other people? Can you do yeah. all this stuff? And like, okay, well now I'm turning into like, I'm now essentially just running a circus. So I rebranded ah. and I still was running rad kind of concurrently as an acro troupe, but then was also pushing up and then yeah. building Rose city circus into his own circus company as well. And then now the, sadly the acro troupe, it was just, so much work trying to keep a six six or seven person acro troop. I can't is a, imagine. It's yeah. a lot of work. I used to work with a guy, and that was a lot of work. I can't I imagine. I work with myself. It's a pain. <laughs> right. So it was it was a lot. And also just, you know, the... Were the, they all, like, professional performers, or did they have, like, day it was, gigs? It was kind of a mix. Okay. It was um at a much more professional level. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wouldn't say... I was doing it as, like, my full-time work. And I mean, I've diversified into a bunch of different performance stuff as well. But there was, you know, some people had some day jobs. Not everybody, but oh, because I just imagine it's a it's a night when you have six people to schedule a gig, and you're like, no, it was scheduling them. That was one of the, the pains in the butt, yeah. trying to get us in there because we, you know, you got to rehearse, you know, three four times a week as an acrobat, mm-hmm. getting six people and all those schedules together, yeah. pulling gigs, and then also the sad fact, venues and you know producers are always going to want to hand you an amount of money for an act, and if you bring six people. That means that's what that looks like. And then, so kind of as time went by and my priorities kind of just shifted into what I was kind of going after in terms of being an acrobat. 
I kind of slimmed it down to my one acro partner uh-huh. that I work with all the time. And that, and you, you perform also in Rose City Circus, the two of you. That's right. And we yeah. still, yeah, we still perform all the time. And that's what, uh, when you were on the gong show and you guys won the gong show. We and did. Was that as rad or was that the... That was as Rose City Circus, but I mean, it kind of a hybrid of it. We called it Rose City Circus because it's just better advertising. Of course. But it was essentially uh, that acro troupe. We did a stilt acrobatics. Yeah, I saw that. I saw people. the video. It was like, wow, that's. I don't think I've seen that before. <laughs> yeah, we're always looking for kind of creative, innovative ways to put acrobatics on stage. I, I'm a big. I've become now. I think a student of this kind of circus and like what what's out there and just knowing. The, the world of it is amazing. It's small, but it's also huge, and mm. there's so many talented people. Yeah, and I got in it pretty late in the game. You know, I was in my mid twenties. And that's not the story for everybody. And then as I started rising up the ranks of being an acrobat and wanting to get bigger and bigger gigs, I kept running into this problem where now I'm competing against these people who've literally been doing it since they're four years old. Yeah. And they are unbelievably good. They're better than me. Mm. And so one of the things I kind of leaned into is that I have this ability to be creative with what we're putting on stage. They learned typically, if you learn from, you know, that age you're learning a very, very structured version of that art form. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do. And that's what you put on stage. That's why a lot of their acts, those kind of acts, typically, like if you go to Cirque du Soleil, a partner acrobatics act, they kind of all look the same. They're amazing. I'm not knocking it. But, you know, it's the same skills, the same kind of presentation. And so I'm like, well, if we're going to get anywhere with this, we have to be creative. We have to think outside the box mm-hmm. a little bit. So I started incorporating a lot more like vaudeville and comedy and clown. I love studying clown. And then also just kind of other acrobatic disciplines. So we started doing it on, so in like the gong show, we were all on three foot peg stilts and just, you know, flying around. And and we had this like bar, came up with this idea to like hold a 10 foot bar pole. And we'd like, we had the two stilters and we'd like swoop one of the flyers up off the stage. And so all of a sudden she goes from the ground to like 12 feet in the air. And then she's doing like, aerial trapeze between us on the bar while the other flyers like underneath doing like a whole floor yeah and the judges were just like jaws dropped mm-hmm. and it's like the first thing that when you go to your website mm-hmm. it's the first thing that you see yep. so if you want to check that out definitely do it and so when you win did the winning the gong show lead to like more opportunity it, it did a, yeah it did a little bit i am it's it's man it's a tough business out there and i've had a, a a very good bit of success so i'm not gonna say no i wish it would have led to bigger opportunities but at the same time my career has been doing really fantastic also the stilt acrobatics is really great and it's draw droppering but it also you know it's like you could still get you could still go somewhere else and see somebody do some crazy thing where somebody's doing a backflip onto one hand on somebody's head and it's like so for the money we're asking they could still go get that so you know it's all good i've actually now uh, not to jump around too much been working really hard on a new circus skill in this in the same capacity where I kind of sat there and had that real talk with myself and was like well internationally everybody's just so so good Mm -hmm. I'm never gonna be at that level as an acrobat I could train every day until the day I die just which just you know I started too late yeah you know I'm 38 now you know and I'm still in great shape but I mean let's be real so I discovered from kind of watching old videos and actually it was very influenced tying this into moisture festival it was very inspired by one of the people that was uh i was performing alongside of one of the great parts about moisture festival is that it's a it's a mix of kind of new school circus and also a lot of like older school vaudevillians and old circus old clowns and so um he probably doesn't even know he i don't think i've seen him again that he's i've talked to him about this but uh jeff raz oh yeah jeff raz so jeff raz used to do this skill back in like the 70s or 80s or whatever it was it was like one of his first when he was like an acrobat acrobat before he was a clown and he was telling me about it and i think i had seen a couple things and i had heard that he had done it before so i kind of picked his brain about it and it really i was just like no this is what i need to beeline my career at and it's perch pole which what, is perch pole is where you take, I mean, it's a variable size, but usually between like a 10 to 20 foot pole. And I balance it on either my shoulder or my forehead. And then the flyer climbs to the top. Oh, geez. And while does, you're balancing while it? While I'm balancing it. 
and does on the sh- you know variations of different things. But the way we do it is she does either Chinese pole tricks. Uh, so we have one version of the pole. It's on my shoulder and it's rubberized, and she does Chinese pole tricks on it. And then the version that's on my head. She climbs up and does hand balancing at the top. There's like Are all your chiropractor stuff. friends that went to school with you just like they're terrified? Just, just like, what? I have a saying: every day is neck day. Yeah. <laughs> so, how, like, what diameter of a pole is this? Um, it's like a one and three quarters inch. Okay. It's it's like a, a pole you would see in a you know like a dance club. Okay. And how would you? I mean, it's a Chinese pole for the one, so it's it's rubberized, so it's a little bit thicker, and it's rubberized, so you can do a, a slightly different set of skills, but it's it's similar. Okay. And how do you when you see that, and you're talking to Jeff about that, like how do you sort of what's the training wheels for learning oh, man. that? Skill? It was it was tough. It took me it took me years. Um, it's not a very popular skill anymore. I mean, like, you guys were like, oh, I mean, how many times have you seen that on stage? I don't know if I've seen it. I don't think I've seen it on stage. Yeah, It barely exists Uh in this country. You can still see it in uh, some of the Russian and Chinese circuses, and there's definitely a handful of people around the world who keep it going. And it is an old skill. I mean, it's nothing like that complicated. You literally just take a pole and you balance it and somebody climbs to the top. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's it. You could be doing... Yeah, but, you know, you could have been doing that a thousand years ago. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, no, like, fancy contraption Uh or, like, advanced welding or anything that needs to happen or rigging points. You know, it's just a thing. You know, and, but it's kind of a, I don't want to say a dead art form because there's definitely people doing it, but it is, you know, it is a shell of itself. There's like literally since I've started, I've reached out across the whole world to try and find more people to do it, to learn from. And I've found like maybe 15 or 20. That's crazy. It's crazy. And the circus arts where it's like, I literally could go to Vegas and trip over a hundred acrobats, you know? And so... It was tough at first because I couldn't, I, I started looking into the old videos of it because you can find YouTube videos of people doing it. It does exist. And the, same with when I first joined as an acrobat at the start of my career, it was that same kind of like light bulb moment. I'm like looking at this skill and I'm like, man, this skill is amazing. And I'm looking at the guy who's doing it on the bottom. I'm like, that's, that's me. That's like me kind yeah. of guy. Yeah. You know, like I said, I'm like a 250 pound dude. I'm a big giant guy. And so for a lot of partner acrobat, I'm just oversized. You don't need somebody my size to do that stuff. In the big, giant, multi-person pyramids, which is also why I excelled at the group acro, but perch is definitely a skill where it helps to have, like, a big, huge dude. And I'm like, man, I'm looking at these dudes. I was like, I, I could do that. Yeah. Like, I'm good at balancing stuff, and I'm strong. Yeah, Jeff Raz is pretty big, too. He's yeah. a big guy. Yeah. yeah and when, when you're, like, asking him, like, about this, is he like, don't do it? Or is he like? <laughs> I don't think he's like. Wait a minute. He's like. There's a you reason get, I gave this. You up. got chiropractor friends. I definitely. <laughs> I definitely. Had he's a, like. Go I, back to that last half yeah. year of chiropractor school right. before you do it. Uh, no, I don't think he discouraged me. I don't think he necessarily encouraged me anyway either. Gotcha. Though I don't think it wasn't that kind of conversation. I mostly I picked his brain about a bunch of stuff, but I was just kind of inspired by the art form, and he just kind of filled me in on that it was a thing that kind of existed, and so yeah. But he didn't like point me in the right direction or anything like that. I pretty much had to go figure it out on my own. And so that kind of set off my search and I started trying to find other people because the first step is then, okay, I need like a, I need a teacher and I need somebody to build me the equipment Mm because it is special. It is a pole, but it is also specialized equipment. There's like a little saddle for your shoulder and like, you know, like these, it's just your stuff, you know? Yeah. But none of the circus companies make this because Ah. nobody does it. Yeah. So I had to get it custom made. I found a dude. Um, actually, this is another Moisture Festival tie-in. Oh, my God. Look at this. How <laughs> convenient. You know Samuel Rose? Yeah, yeah, Rose, yeah. Of course. So uh, Sam makes a lot of circus equipment. And I was talking to him about it, I think, at another Moisture Festival, just kind of backstage, telling him that I really want to do this thing. And he was like, oh, I did Perch when I was a kid. I was the flyer. I'm like, of course you did. Yeah, He's right. like old <laughs> yeah, generation yeah, circus. Yeah. So he had that exposure to all these kind of random things. And so, he, and I'm like, Hey, you make, you know, I was like, Hey, do you think you could make me one of these? And he's like, I mean, I've never made one. I haven't been on one, you know, since I was a kid, but like, yeah, I think so. Mm. <laughs> sure, <why not? laughs> and I'm like, well, that's the best lead I've got so yeah. far, you know? So I went for it. And so I had him uh, make the whole contraption for me, just stole the pole I'm using today. And 
he made it all sectional. So I've actually added a bunch of other sections to it and different stuff. So now I have like two versions of the poll and like all this. That's other. awesome. And yeah, one for shoulder, one and for head. Do you have to? What's the sort of conversation you have to have with your flyer about this? You're like, all right, listen, there's this old circus so, skill that no one ever does, probably because people died. And, and then I got this guy who's going to make the rig. He who's doesn't never, never made, made it. it. <laughs> so my flyer is Angela Burt who's another amazing circus story who I'd love to give you the briefest story of her because her joining the circus pretty much comes directly through me as well. And she's fearless. She's amazing. She's I've been working with her now, I think, eight years. And she was on the gong show with me and has been, like, she's my main flyer now. When I said we kind of parred down to just the two of us, that's the one I'm talking about. Mm. And so I came to her, and she's always kind of up for my kooky ideas, you know, because she knows I'm just that kind of guy. And, but she trusts in the process, you know, it's like, I got a good mind for this stuff and I'll be like, I'll figure something out cool. And she's like, you know, always down and she's totally fearless. That's awesome. Also, we keep them, especially for the more dangerous parts of the perch, we keep them on a safety line Oh, because yeah, 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 yeah. it is like at, at some point it gets to like when I'm doing the head balance, she's always on a safety line That's because right. it's anything could happen. And she's seriously 35, 40 feet in the air. Yeah. In a handstand. Yeah. And I've got a 70-pound pole in between me and her. Ugh. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. I, yeah. I always wonder, whenever I'm at the circus and you see the person with the safety line, yep. does that get in the way of the person? It does. Okay. Um, which is why we just use it for the handstand on head, because it's significantly more dangerous. It's also a lot newer for us. I've been doing the shoulder perch now for a couple of years. The head perch I've only been doing for a little over a year. Um, on shoulder, it was because she does a lot of Chinese pole. It definitely gets in the way all over the place because she's twisting and contorting and doing all these things on top of the pole. And so she got so good at it that we made the decision that we've taken her off the line. But what we do as an extra safety precaution is we keep the pole on a safety line. Oh, interesting. So just in case, like, what if I, like, step on something and slip? Or, like, you know, I injure myself, like, my knee just explodes yeah. and I just have to bail. Like, you know, like, you can't, there's no way down quickly and safely. So that way, she's trained, if something went wrong, she can just hold on to the pole. Yeah. Also, that way, too, if something went wrong, the pole's not going to fall into totally. an audience. Because, yeah. like I said, it's like 15, 20 put, like, it's yeah. heavy. If you collapsed, she'll just be dangling there from the pole. Exactly. She has something yeah. to hold on to. So it's safe. And she knew that going in. And, like I said, though, she's totally fearless and just an amazing flyer. And... She felt the same thing I did. You know, we'd been working hard in our career and she used the same kind of way. Like she didn't get really serious about doing being an acrobat until her, you know, kind of later in her year. She didn't start when she well, was I five. That's a, I think that's an American thing, though. Right? You know, circus is not as ingrained into yeah. our culture as it is in other you so know, European we countries. So we were feeling that same thing of just like we're not going to get the gigs that we want. We're getting better and better. But we've now like kind of crossed into this other plateau where we're competing against these people who are world-class yeah we're not there and so it's tough for us because we want you know we work so hard at it we should feel like we should be supporting ourselves fully with it because you know it's our full-time job to be as good as we were but it's tough to get the gigs to make that happen yeah so she's gone all in with it as well and yeah so she was gung-ho but i think you know from your background as an athlete, you might have an advantage coming into it later in life in the fact that you've learned to train your body. You've learned... You yeah, know, so do to... gymnasts, though. Well, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> right. I guess that's, 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 right. that's true. <laughs> gymnasts are very, very strong when they train from five. <laughs> and why do you, what do you think? I mean, now that you are pretty much full-time into the circus world, why has it not been an American ingrained so much in our culture like it is in other places? I mean, it's such a good question. I mean... And you look at support for the arts in this culture. That's one of the things we talk about just kind of amongst ourselves in our communities. If you go into Europe, they have like national grants for the circus all over the place. They like fund centers and like they teach people at a young age. Now in this country, you see that for dance and sports and gymnastics. But for whatever reason, that's kind of where it ends. And it's a pretty hard line. And I think it has to do more with competition maybe i i I can't because dance doesn't really fit into that but like we do have a big thing in this country about like competitive we like we like competition yeah Uh when we want to go see something we want to see a competition that's very ingrained in this country i don't know if it's not in europe because i mean they love soccer too so Mm. i don't know how that holds up but for whatever reason 
uh, acrobatic gymnastics and circus arts in general just don't have that kind of support here. And so you don't see as many people like we'll get into it. Like I remember I found a picture of me when I was like 10 years old at a summer camp and they, they had a little circus class within it. And I like was on the rollerball, <laughs> you know, and it's like super adorable, but it's like, Nobody was like, you're going to start training to be like, you know, <laughs> and acrobatics. Now you move to Moscow, yeah. Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> Drop out of the second grade right now. <laughs> train 15 hours a day. But yeah. I think, uh, you know, li- living in this place is a little bit of an outlier because we are in a little bit is. of a circus bubble, whereas the rest of the United States doesn't quite have I think have it's it. happening. You can see it in a lot of progressive cities because it's given young people kind of a freedom of choice of what they're going to do with my life. I mean, my, look at my story. I was literally on like the normie track, you know, I was on my way to be a chiropractic doctor and then I moved to a, you know, weirdo progressive city. And then I'm like, hold on a second. Does this have to be my whole life? I don't think this should be my whole life. I'm not going to be happy working in an office. Yeah. Maybe there's something else that would fulfill me. And I could actually make as my thing. And so I just jumped at it. And when you have that kind of permission to do that, when you allow, you know, people to dive into artistic endeavors and just whatever their passion is, you know, it allows those kind of movement to happen. And so that was, it was a huge, I, you know, I love that. I fact that I came here to Portland. Absolutely. Got, got that, yeah. You know, and Portland's lucky to have you. I mean, it oh, seems like you. you are an ambassador for circus oh. and cre- creating shows and content for people to consume. I mean, uh, you know, we talked to Kurt Carlisle about mm-hmm. the uh, White Album Christmas. Yep, the show and, we just did. And I, are you the, the... I'm the director. The, yep. Okay, and so did you come up with that concept? or The White Album show started 14 years ago with the Wanderlust Circus, who was the circus that the acro crew that I first joined with was also working for. Mm, so there's a lot of history there. And I started performing at the White Album, yeah, 14 years ago. How cool is that? Right at the beginning of my circus career. That's almost as long as the Moisture Festival. Uh, Yeah. And in fact, I, one of my first, one, another, I think it was my first or second year was my first Moisture Festival with Kazoom, actually. You could like go all the way back and like (laughs) see me in like, you know, these kind of silly little like t-shirt outfits. Yeah. Cause you've been been to the Moisture Festival in different incarnations, right? Yeah. Many, many times. I've been with Kazoom. I've been with Rad. I've been with just as me as my doubles were in talks to come. We were supposed to come last year before everything. And um hopefully getting back this year i've been in talks you know with everybody to get 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 us back up there this year hopefully doing a debut the perch one of the the problems the perch pole is too tall for hail oh uh, yeah yeah but we're trying to i have like plans to maybe make a shorter mini version perch. of it or you, mini could, perch. you could do it on the floor that's what i'm thinking is to do it in but that's also a little nuts because it literally <laughs> be just like you know seats like you know two feet on either side <laughs> yeah of well have um, you done the, the like the matinee when they have the the front eight or the ten front, rows yep. gone well our first time kids are sitting you would just boot them oh, out oh yeah i mean and i'm, <laughs> kids I'm can move. who needs mats when you got kids i'm pretty nuts like that too uh the first time we debuted perch was in a show in san francisco uh with the vaudevere society mm-hmm. there's an amazing circus down in san francisco and it was kind of like a dinner theater in a circus tent old-fashioned circus tent and it was kind of like that show in the round so it had the you know 10 foot, 8 foot, eight, let's just say 8 foot to make me sound cooler, it might have mm-hmm. been 10, but it had a 10 foot, 8 foot podium in the center, <laughs> and that's where most of the action happened, and we, we were mostly there to do our partner acrobatics act, but as we were getting better at Perch, we're like, hey, can we try and put this on stage, and so we were able to sneak it into our act, so we debuted it for the first time on stage on a podium that's like raised 6 feet in the air, that's only 8 feet wide, now I have to keep my eyes up the whole time. And I'm balancing this thing. And so I had to have like two people on either side of it, you know, they were instructed to like give me warnings if I was yeah. starting to get too close to the edge because I would literally just walk off the thing. And there's the crowd is all around Is it like us. the people who yell at you when you're curling? They're like, left, yeah, yeah, left, yeah, 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 right, exactly. right. Yeah, we had like a whole like set of code words so I knew exactly <laughs> what they were talking about and there's no wasted talk. And yeah. So I hope, yeah, I hope to bring it up to the Moisture Fest. Now, what, what, do you have a theory on, like, why, is it just like what you were saying, a progressive city, whereas, like, the Northwest, because it, it is, like, the, you know, the Moisture Festival is going on 17 years now, yep, yep. has a thriving circus community, here has a, a, a crazy circus community, 
it, what is it about these two cities that the circus or weirdness that it, you don't see it? Well, because as... then you bump even further north to Bellingham and they have a big Bellingham, scene. Bellingham, yeah. like, yep. Why Vancouver, is it that? Vancouver, not... I mean, it's. Yeah, it, but then you move I south really and think... it ends at Medford. Why is it not <laughs> happening mean, in yes Des Moines, no, there's, Iowa? There's a huge. I mean, I think if you look harder, you'll find it in a lot of emerging cities a lot of like i think it definitely tends to favor the more progressive cities because it is that thing of like kind of permission of choice you've got like artistic people and artistic young people are going to find whatever avenue speaks to them and for a lot of people that's like you know some sort of physical medium art of like you know painting or music or whatever it is but for others it's a you know it's a movement art and so i think that's what you're seeing in a lot of these cities, especially now Cirque du Soleil played a huge part of that because it kind of yeah. redefined what, you know, circus could look like. Like I said, like for me growing up, circus was just flying trapeze and elephants and clowns. Yeah. And then now all of a sudden there's all these aerial arts, which is much more accessible, mm-hmm. you know, much more. So you can be an area, you can, anybody can train aerial uh, arts. Well, and we so, used to have, beautiful. we used to have an agent whose hobby was she was a flyer. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a oh, great yeah, workout. Yeah. Like, you know, instead of going to a gym, go have an aerial lesson, you know, right. twice a week. It's a great workout. And so it's just opened it up to that. Um, and I think that that's why you see it so much now. And so it's not just in Portland and Seattle. It's it's everywhere. I mean, like, as somebody who's pretty deeply embedded in the circus community all over this country, yeah, there's most cities I could probably plop down in and just throw up the, you know, hey, I'm a circus dude. I'm here. <laughs> And, you know, I'd, like, either find somebody I know or, like, yeah. a friend of a friend who'd, like, you know, show me around, put me up, get me a oh, gig. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, I want to uh, loop back because I didn't finish answering your question. I got sidetracked with the White Album show. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 I, you know, I should do it service and actually tell the history because it's a huge show and a show that means so much to me. It was one of my first shows. And so it started with the Wanderlust Circus. And then that went on for nine years. And then Wanderlust kind of folded... And there was a period where the show itself was in jeopardy and they weren't sure if we were going to keep doing it. And this is a huge production show. It's a 15-piece live band Mm -hmm. of all-star musicians doing the entire Beatles' White Album. So they have strings, they have horns, they have, you know, five vocalists to be able to capture because at that point the Beatles multi-tracked everything. Uh They never performed it live. So the music is unbelievable. And then we'll have anywhere from like a 10 to 20-person circus and it's like, you know, one of our biggest shows of the year, we do it at the Alberta Rose Theater. This past year, we did 10 sellout shows of like a 400-seat wow. theater. That's amazing. It was amazing. Um, so there was this period where I had already started Rose City Circus. Wanderlust Circus was still going around. We were all very friendly. It was all good. But when they left the show and the show was in doubt, I kind of swooped in and was able to negotiate with all the sides and be like, hey, I would like to continue this on the circus side. So then I took it over, and that was five years ago. Oh, wow. And so I've been running that show now for the last five years. So one thing I've always wondered whenever I see, like, uh, Leap and Louie post pictures of it or whatever, how is licensing it? Is that a nightmare? Well, um, in any venue, you're allowed to play cover music. So, like, ah. say you go to a, like a, any venue, like a rock show or even at a cafe, and somebody plays a cover, they're not going to sue them. The venues pay a percentage of sales as a licensing fee, kind of as a flat mm. rate all the time, so they're allowed to play covers of whatever. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's like a thing, and so that's like baked into like you know our whole financials. Uh, so it is, I have a it proposal. What's that? Jay Z's Black Album. Oh man. <laughs> For maybe like you know. Uh... St. Patty's Day or something, and then you, or then you Valentine's the, Day. And then you have your your Metallica's Black. Oh album. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll probably let somebody else do that. One. For Valentine's Day, it's Pink's whole catalog. I, I I kind of always wanted to do uh, Dark Side of the Moon. That would be amazing. It's a little short though. Oh, one of the nice things about the White Album is it's ne- even though it's a very weird album in some ways, it actually has incredible dynamics and it's very long. Mm. This is two sides, so the whole sh- album itself is like you know two like basically fifty minute sides, yeah. which is a perfect length for a circus show. Yeah, whereas you know. Dark Side is only like just 45 minutes. A friend of mine, actually, Brandy, who's in the White Album, is producing her own. This is her first big show she's producing, and she actually got a bunch of musicians, and she is doing the Dark Side of the Moon at That's the same, rad. same venue that we do the White Album at. Forrest Gump soundtrack Christmas. There you go. That's a, that's a two disc set. Life Aquatic. <laughs> oh, that's a good one, too, because those are covers, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that concept. I would love to see a dark side of the moon circus. How yeah. badass yeah. would that be? That would be? be pretty sweet. Yeah, I was trying to actually come to the White Album Circus this year, but I Oh, you should have told me. I would have got your tickets. I, well, I told David, and he's like, it sold out. No comps. I'm like, what? <laughs> we did We did sell out, and it was very hard to get comps. Next time, make sure you come to me. I'll, try I'll get you in there. Um, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> Um, and, and I thought David had pulled at that. I know. So, so another interesting thing about that show, and also ties in with Dark Side. One of the reasons that show means so much to me, the White Album, is my parents were big, you know, music fans and music lovers, kind of hippies. And when I was like, my mom used to sing me Blackbird when I was an oh, infant. Oh, nice! Yeah. It's a song from that album. And when I was five years old, they gave me a little tape deck. You know, this is back in the eighties. You guys remember tapes? Um, they gave me a little tape deck of my own and they gave me like five, five tapes. And among them was the Beatles white album, dark side of the moon, Led Zeppelin. Four, nice. Man, know, that's awesome. Best of the doors. And Jimmy Your parents Hendrix. are awesome. I got they're, Johnny they're, Mathis they're and the Mormon awesome. tabernacle choir. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a tape with nothing to play it on. <laughs> that's awesome. what do I do? Figure it out, kid. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so that album just means so much to me. I've been listening to it my whole life. Yeah, uh, my parents even came to have been coming now. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, so that's are they been, pretty proud of what you're doing? Super proud. I'm sure. Yeah, and I'm a big, I'm a crier. I like on the closing <laughs> night, they came closing. I was like crying my eyes out for him in like the closing like speech. <laughs> like, your dad's yeah. like, I'm glad you didn't go to the NFL. <laughs> I'm glad you stuck around. <laughs> no, they're great. They're so supportive. They didn't even blink an eye when I dropped out of med school yeah, to join. It's the pretty Impressive. Yeah. I really think yeah. about that. <laughs> so we don't want to take up all your time, but I do have sure. to ask you about being the marshal of the World Naked Bike Ride. Sure. Is, how, first of all, what is the World Naked Bike Ride? Second of all, how do you get the title of marshal? What do you have to and do? Is it like sure. Grand Marshal or like Sky Marshal? Uh, I was the Grand Marshal, although I was riding an 11-foot-tall bicycle. <laughs> um, I'll take a minute and talk about that for a second. It is actually really interesting. I will preface it by saying I am no longer the Grand Marshal oh. of the Naked Bike Ride. I is this been a for a couple years. democratic process? Do people vote in uh, out? I would or? definitely not say it's a voting process. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, dif- differences of opinion with the other main organizer, and I left. Naked creative differences. <laughs> and so the Naked Bike Ride is it's worldwide. They call it the WNBR because it's the World Naked Bike Ride because it exists all across the world. It happens in cities all over the place and anybody can throw one it's kind of one of those decentralized things where yeah if you want to you can throw a naked bike ride under that flag in your town and the things that it always has in common is it's not just a for funsy ride and to get naked it is specifically a protest against the dependence on fossil fuels as well as a kind of exclamation that as cyclists we're all vulnerable we're we're basically naked on the streets. We're you know we're not in a three thousand pound cage, and mm. you should see us and yeah. be careful of us because this is what we got. I mean, this is we're just naked flesh yeah. sacks out there, and you know you can hurt us. And I think it's also evolved to have a very sex positive component as well of just like nudity isn't inherently sexual, and I really think that's very powerful yeah. too as a big believer in sex positivity, and also that nudity doesn't have to be tied to sex. And so all those things kind of really turned me on into it. When I first started it, like I said, I was already part of a kind of the underground bike crew, which is Zubom, which was the Portland name of it. And I was running a bunch of events for Zubom. And at that point, the naked, this is probably now 14 years, 15, 16 years ago. God, a long time ago. Um, 2005, 2006. Um, it was a couple years after I moved here. And, but kind of right around the time I was just joining the circus and the naked bike ride had started gaining popularity and at the time it was very decentralized there was no leader at all it was basically just an event people showed up the ride got naked and we just started riding and whoever's at the front took us wherever they wanted and you know it was okay when there was just 100 150 riders wait the person in front could just decide yeah, we're going it, it to it my got, mom's house no, again it got, it got bad because <laughs> you'd have all these like fast biked riders you know zipping around oh, yeah. and then like in the back is like you know some like older lady who's like yeah. just kind of peddling slowly and the rides would get separated, which is unsafe. And so me and my group of friends who are already organizing a bunch of other big rides, kind of like, you know, like that baby stuff, we're like, hey, let's give this thing some structure. Let's take over as kind of a, like your know, thing. So we showed up 
basically declared ourselves the leaders because we showed up with all our huge giant tall bikes and it was free like bikes. like a naked and... bike ride coup. Yeah. Well, there was no one <laughs> to coup. You're the naked bike ride grand dictator. <laughs> there was no coup. There was nobody to you're coup against Kim us. You're, you're the Kim Jong-un. He's yeah. organizing. Naked bike ride. <laughs> so we just showed up. I mean, he at that point, the government. Yeah, we were just like, well, there's no leadership, so we're going to show up with all our super huge bikes and a huge pack of us and megaphones and a giant, we made a giant banner and we're like, this is the start of the People ride. Like, yes. We got a big banner. They so know. we got the banner and we're like, y'all going to stay behind the ride and we got the megaphones and if oh, anybody cool. anybody wanted to get in front of us we just be like well you're not on the ride anymore the ride starts hey. right here uh, and sometimes you just got to do the thing you know you don't ask for you have to just do it. you have to to submit if you want us to go by your ex's house <laughs> and we will approve it or not so at that point the ride kept uh just uh snowballing in popularity cool so the first year we did that i think it was only like three or four hundred people and then the next year, we knew we were going to do it again, and we had kind of been given, you know, it was kind of now accepted that we were running the ride, but then a thousand people showed wow. up. Wow. And we were like, oh my God, there's a lot of people. But, you know, we did it, and I love leading big groups of people. Yeah. I'm just that natural, you know, big-voiced, yeah. I'm on the tallest bike, I'm a huge guy, I'm, I like to think I'm a very nice guy, I'm not, like, mean when I try and command... Except uh, for kicking know. people out of the bike ride if they get in front of you. But I wouldn't do it in a mean way. You know, I wouldn't be like, I'm going to kick your ass, you suck. I'd just be like, if you're in front of us, you're no longer on the ride. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so the ride starts here um, and then it just kept growing and growing and then it was a thousand people and then the next year four thousand people came and then the year after that eight thousand people came wow. and then be- we became the largest naked bike ride in the whole planet wow. and we set the record I think the I think one of the last years I did it where we had twelve or thirteen thousand people now can, is this something that is like Guinness record I recognize? think they officially recognize it a Guinness is kind of one of those things which is a little bit of a crock where they have to like you have to like pay them money yeah. to like have them to authenticate come and like it. do yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it's like we had multiple people counting and we're in contact yeah. with all the other rides and like it was very clear we had yeah. the it was well over ten thousand people which gave us the longest ride. Is in the there whole a planet. specific world na- naked bike ride day or No, it can happen all different days. It's okay. Tuesday in Eugene. Every Tuesday. It's not Tuesday in Eugene. <laughs> Um, and so you have such an interesting background and there's a bunch of stories online that you've done multiple interviews with here, the Mercury, uh, the the Willamette Weekly, Mm -hmm. they've done spreads about, you've done coaching for pole dancers, you've done, performed at bachelorette parties, you've done, you've done, diversified. Yeah, you've done a little bit of everything. I'm a a host at a lot of cabaret shows and like, you know, nightclubs and stuff like that, kind of on my off nights. You know, I, I just love to perform. Yeah. I love uh, teaching people and like just being there in that whole kind of performance world is just my thing. Well, and I mean, at Moisture Festival is lucky to have you. And uh, from what you've said, it's like just going there and meeting people and coming up yeah. with ideas and being exposed to like, you know, stuff that you might have not thought of prior. Yeah. 100%. If we have another minute, I want to talk, swing back to Moisture Festival. Sure. Yeah. I know this is a yeah. Moisture Festival podcast. That's the wanna... number one thing guests tell us. Like, can we talk about the festival? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I already talked, I did talk about it a little bit when I was saying about how it kind of gave me one of the early inspirations for doing Perch Bowl, which is now a huge part of my career. It's pretty much my career going forward. Uh, as just like as a performer, is that I love it so much because of that combination of so many different circus worlds. You know, when I first started, I was just in this amateur-ish acrobat troupe. But then all of a sudden, I'm sharing a backstage with this, you know, a 65-year-old clown who's toured the world 70 times. Mm-hmm. And I, it was a place that I became inspired to do clowning to do vaudeville to do all these different skills to take my art seriously to you know just being put in the room the stage itself at the moisture fest is great but i'd say some of my best memories and like most cherished moments are actually just being in the back and being able to rub elbows with so many generations of different circus performers and vaudevillians and just being in that, like Matt yeah. Davis recommending me, you know, this clown book that really sent me on a journey of, you know, mm-hmm. doing clown and like... That's rad. And all, you know, Jeff Raz and like uh, all this kind of, all this stuff, like, and it's that kind of inspiration. It makes my community of circus feel like a real community and not just like 
this one contemporary kind of younger style circus that I'm more of a part of, but also like we're connected to all these different generations. This is yeah. a long tradition, a long history of this stuff. And even like, you know, going back to Jeff Raz, like someone who is like you in the sense that he's a big guy. He was an acrobat. He was very physical. And then he tra- was made that transition into clowning, being yes. a head clown yeah. for Cir- Cirque du Soleil. And just sort of, again, like even going back to talking with him is like, he was exposed to different mimes and clowns and was like, oh, wow, there I can do this other stuff, too. Yeah, I'm not, not just limited. Discipline. Yeah, and so it sounds like that's exactly yep. what, you're, what you're doing. Yep, Leap and Louie, you just talked to David. Uh, you know, he was one of my big first clown mentors. He gave me a bunch of, like, private workshops and really helped me along. That's awesome. Because he came to me one day and he's like, Dutch, you're such a funny person. You need to learn how to be funny on stage. You need, <laughs> But it's true, though. Yeah, it's being, true. Being on stage is all about being intentional, yep. you know, and being a human is all about being in the moment and just doing whatever you want and being intentional with it is a much different art form and it is an art form. And so I had to kind of like go back, you know, two steps and learn how to capture whatever it is that makes me funny or charismatic, or whatever it is, and be able to put that on stage properly. Yeah. But it's like the same thing, like Leap and Louie. I love the guy. He's one of my best friends, you know, and it's, it, you know. Just did so many shows with him. He's been he's been bull whipping candy canes out of my mouth now for ten years. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Uh, so if people want to find you, you can uh, rosecitycircus.com. That's right. And then you're on like all the social I'm on sites, all the socials. And, yeah. uh, just John Dutch, John Instagram, J O N Dutch, J O N Dutch, Facebook, right. Instagram. Yeah. Any anything else? You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm too old to get into all that other stuff. <laughs> I know we're I both older than you. So. They're, like, <laughs> they're like, Dutch, you should have a TikTok because I get into some really wild adventures. You should get into that. I really I should. I I like, and that. I do really Coming silly Coming from an stuff. older person. Like, go and look on my Instagram. Like, you know, in quarantine, I was getting a little loopy, but I'm like, <laughs> you see me in like a princess dress and a dance ribbon just oh, nice. doing like interpretive dance yeah. in my front yard on like while riding a, like a, a toy horse. Uh, and I'm, you know, and I'm like... I think it will be a TikTok hit, man. Yeah. yeah. Put that on Snapchat. Yeah. It's just, I like the live medium. Yeah. You know, that's where my heart really is. Well, yeah. we uh, thank you so much for uh, coming to the Clown Basement and thank coming out here. Yeah, and, thanks uh, for having me. We're, we're lucky to have you at the Moisture Festival and also in the Northwest as yes. you know, a circus thank ambassador. You, thank you. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Yeah. We want to thank you for listening to the Moisture Festival podcast. If you haven't bought tickets yet for the festival, you can do that at moisturefestival.org. You can also find out information about volunteering or supporting it financially as well. Just click on the contribute button. You can also find Moisture Festival. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to check out more details on any of those social network sites. If you want to find out more information on Louie and I, we do a podcast together that is completely different than this podcast and it is called the odd and off beat podcast and you can find that on any platform that you get your podcasts at if you would like to find out information on louis and i's shows you can do so by visiting louis site which is louis fox with two x's.com and matt baker's site comedy stunt spelled the way you would expect it to be spelled yes And we want to thank all the volunteers, performers, sponsors, donors, board members, producers of the Moisture Festival for helping make this thing happen. Absolutely. A lot of moving parts, and they do a wonderful job at creating a very unique experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.